welcome to Power Up Your Performance, where we talk about how you can learn to think, feel, perform, and live like a champion. You are in for such a treat today. Today, I'm speaking with Petra Kolper. She is an internationally renowned fitness expert and wellness leader who is known throughout the industry as a crusader for change and a beacon of authentic happiness. And I have to say, I met her a few weeks ago, and she is a ray of sunshine, which you'll see when you hear her talk in this interview. I just love her and her enthusiasm and everything that she is doing to change the fitness industry and help us Think about how we can take a perfection detox. In her 25 years in the fitness world, she has starred in and choreographed 60 award-winning videos and fitness programs and has spoken live to thousands of motivated followers. As a national workshop leader and keynote speaker, she inspires people around the globe to stand up for their lives and live profoundly from their hearts. She has been a consultant and a contributor to many national fitness magazines and has been named Fitness Crusader of the Year by Health Magazine. She has been the face and voice of leading food and fitness companies such as Reebok, Spry Living, Yes Fitness Music, and California Walnuts. I am sure you are going to love this interview with Petra, who in her spare time is an aspiring DJ, a budding cook, an avid traveler, and podcast maven who feels deeply blessed in the mornings that she can wake up early enough to watch the sunrise. Welcome to the show, Petra. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. It's an absolute privilege to be with you. So I heard you talk a couple of weeks ago at the Blog Fest in San Diego and absolutely loved listening to your talk. You talked to us about the Perfection Detox which is what your new book is about, which if people are listening to the podcast today, today is your official release day. So congratulations on your new book. Thank you so much. And you know, and that event came with such a great, oh my gosh, you are such an amazing audience. I just felt like there's so much love and support of this blogging, fitness, wellness, health community out there. And I could just see every single woman um, in that room, so supportive. And that I think is what the work that you're doing here with your podcast and just how can we celebrate each other and support each other to be the, our best selves so that we can then share that work forward with those we, we want to empower and influence. Yes, I agree. And that, that group of people at Blogfest is such a special group of women. I think that it's really its own special little part of the conference where I just feel nice and safe and warm and fuzzy when we're with the, that group of women. And it's, it's just a kind of different vibe than you get from being out on the convention floor with everybody. So I, I do love that group of people. And I think they brought us some really great speakers this year. But tell us, about Perfection Detox and what made you decide to write this book in the first place? Yeah, I mean, some people often say, it's interesting. People, the, a lot of people read this book and go, hmm, I didn't think I was a perfectionist, but I see myself in this book. So 
basically it was my, they say, you know, you learn it to teach it, you live it to preach it. And we teach what we still need to learn. And for me, you know, my background has been, I've been very blessed. I've been in the fitness industry for like, oh my gosh, almost probably three decades at this point. You you were not even born when I started. And this was like VHS tape. So you even have your listeners are like, what's a VHS tape? What I found was there's this gap between what we present to the world, whether it's a thought leader, whether it's someone who's writing their own blog, doing their own podcast, and some and the inner voice that we how we talk to ourselves versus how we talk to those that we love. And that's just a little piece of it. And for me, I had this amazing, I say you have a job, a career, or a calling. And I had a job when I first started. I was living in Queens teaching, um, oh my gosh, like 25 plus classes in New York City at the time. And then I got picked up by Reebok and I was so blessed to have this career where I traveled around the world teaching to thousands of people. I mean, it was such a blessing and it was in the heyday of like aerobics and step. And then there was this idea, I started to get positioned as a fitness expert and I began to feel this and this unwavering sense of tension, this idea of who I felt I was and how the world was perceiving me. And I call it your er, what is your er? And mine was, I felt like I needed to be smart er, like, cause I didn't have a master's or a PhD in, you know, um, in, you know, fitness basically. So I felt this gap between who I felt the audience wanted. No one ever said to me, you needed to be smarter or you, but this idea in my head, I began to take it on as a truth. And I started talking a little bit more as I got more comfortable with my voice in the industry. And I started to share this idea of my anxiety around what I thought people's expectations were of me, that they expected a perfect Petra to be the perfect fitness expert. No one had ever said this, Kim, but I took on this whole new idea and it was interesting. And normally after people I speak, I have maybe two, three people wanting to talk to me. After this first talk where I had said, I have this anxiety that manifests itself around this idea of needing to be perfect. There was a line of women <laughs> waiting to talk to me. And they're like, oh my gosh, you feel like this too? And that was my first awakening going, no one's really talking about this. And I feel that this is something that we need to shine a very kind light on, this idea of who we represent to the world. How can we be as kind to ourselves as we are to those that we're trying to influence and impact? Because, you know, I, and you heard me say this, the longest distance we'll ever travel is from our head to our heart. And so I'm here to help you shorten that journey. I love that. So you say that there's three different types of perfection. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you mean by that? Yeah, this is not work from my own work. This is um, evidence-based science where there are three types of perfectionism. One is self-oriented. You know, you you kind of put this idea upon yourself that you want to... You know, you want to do really, really well. And actually, out of all of the three, this is the most... There's some really positive traits in here. Um, you want to, you know pursue excellence. You want to show up really well. You're great at timelines, all that stuff. That one can come a little, become a little tricky when it, I say perfectionism oversteps its boundaries and perfectionism becomes the basement level. Like unless it's perfect, I'm not going to ship it. So that's when self-prescribed, self-oriented 
perfectionism can become, can shift from becoming a positive influence in your life to actually something that stops you putting your work out there. Then there's other oriented. For those of you listening that um, happen to work with someone who is um, the devil's advocate, you know, they're like, oh, I'm going to be the devil's advocate. You know that person, you know, they're really quick to point holes in your work, but not fill in the gaps with anything useful. But uh-huh. just, yeah. So those tend to be other oriented and they tend to micromanage. They tend to overstep their boundaries in instead of offering constructive feed forward, they're going to just point holes. And, and we sometimes think these people come in with a sense of um, ego, but often other oriented perfectionists are very insecure in their own light. And mm-hmm. they feel like if I can just shine the light on someone else and deflect off me, then no one's going to really notice my mistakes. So if you do work for devil's advocate, one of those people who tend to micromanage, it's a tough one because they won't, they won't often, you know, they're quick to see other people's flaws, but there is hard to see their own, own gaps, you know, their own blind spots. And then, and especially for your, your audience, I think this is a big one, socially prescribed. And this is, oh, you know, with internet and social media and Instagram and blogging and, oh my gosh, trying to keep up with the Joneses and the other Instagram followers. This is the most toxic. And this is what I spoke to the audience at BlogFest about. You guys listening, you know, whether it's your own blog, your own Instagram account, we have this idea of how we should be showing up in the world based on social media, social proof, Um, not not just social media, but media on television, media on the internet. It's like bombarded with these images and these ideas, these false ideals of how we think people are really showing up in the world. And one of my favorite quotes is by a pastor called Stephen Furtick. And it says, the reason we are all struggling with insecurities is because we're so busy comparing our behind the scenes to everybody else's highlight reel. And to talk about that right now, this is why I I asked Kim before we go on, is this audio or audio and video? Because right now you might think, well, Petra's got a book coming out. It's all very well for her to say, I'm standing in my closet in New York City with a headband on, barely showered, because we, we try and put out great work. But what it takes to do that is often a very different story. That is such a good point. Just, you know, we think that somebody who has a book coming out or we think that, you know, you're in New York. We think somebody who's performing on Broadway is so super glamorous all the time and we forget what their real life is like and that they're out there grinding and hustling and doing the hard work just like the rest of us are. And that we only see that little blip either, you know, when they're on the stage or on TV or I think that, yeah, I think that's a really good point. We forget the hard work. And on social media, especially, it's that snapshot. It's that one little blink of an eye, but we don't see the 10,000 hours behind that. Um, Even Heidi Powell, who is one of the, I think she was the keynote the next day, who I was not aware of. But I, of course, when you go in and see what the other speakers are, and, you know, I went on a couple of days before, I'm like, first thing came, I'm like, oh my gosh, she's got all these, you know, tens of thousands of followers, hundreds of thousands. I've got my little, like, 3,000, again, comparing my behind the scenes. But her and her husband work so hard, have such conviction and authenticity, 
And this has come over years of hard work. So I think always remember Use people for inspiration. Use people like yourself, Kim. Like, and you're, you know, you're doing the hard work, hustling with the podcast and all of this stuff. Use others for motivation, but don't forget and don't compare the work that you're having to put in. I think sometimes we wonder, like, if I'm having to work so hard, is this, am I on the right path? If you're doing what you love, it's going to take hard work. But this whole social comparison can really roadblock us because we're like, well, they've already done it. And, you know, unless you're incredibly lucky and there sometimes is a piece of luck that's attached to it, but often it's the luck is that preparation. It's the thousands of hours just doing the grind, showing up day after day. But if it's work that you believe in and you believe you can make one, one person make someone feel them less alone or more included. You're doing great stuff. That is, that is very important too. So how does a person know if their perfectionism is overboard? Like how do you know if it's toxic perfectionism? It's a great question. I think I like to use, because we, you know, we both come from the fitness background, I like to use this idea of a wellness scale. You know, like we use scales to measure our weight. I'm going to ask you to use a wellness scale of measuring your joy and how you're doing in creating a flourishing and joyful life. And so to me, the, the question is, when you're looking at the work that you're doing, and especially if you're, you know, um, a self, you know, self-oriented perfectionist, like for me, Kim, there's a lot of stuff I don't want to change. I triple check my work but I no longer check it a hundred times, you know? And if, if I ship it and there's a couple of errors, I can separate it from, oh, I made a mistake versus I am the mistake. So I think, ask yourself, is the work that I'm doing, is there room, is it bringing more joy into my life or is it sucking the joy out of me? Are the thoughts I'm having around my work, around the, the hours I'm putting in, am I allowed to, am I allowing myself to have a place of curiosity? Am I allowing myself to fail? Am I allowing myself to play a little bit, say, take some time off? And I think if the answer is yes, there's nothing wrong in working really hard. And I'm probably working harder than I ever have before, but yet, if I make a mistake, if I send out an email with a typo, I mean, it's great. I've built a brand now <laughs> that allows me to make mistakes. Yeah. Like, oh, wait, that was my deliberate mistake to show you I'm not perfect. But again, it's just like, if you feel like the noose around your neck is so tight, that if you make the slightest error, if you're comparing yourself to everybody else out there and it's not making you feel good, let's look at how we're judging ourselves. Let's look at what metrics you're using to measure your own self-worth, your own success. And maybe we just need to lower the bar a little bit and let it let good enough be good enough. I love that you mentioned not being afraid to fail. Can you talk just a little bit about why should we be okay with failing and just, just what's going on there with, because I love that. I talk about that a lot too. You know, don't be afraid to fail. Failing is good. But why do you think that that's a good thing? Yeah, it's a great, and you know what? It's easy to say, right? And then easy mm-hmm. and not so hard to learn. I heard this somewhere, F-A-I-L. F first attempts in learning. And I love that. And I had a conversation with an entrepreneur friend of mine the other day over coffee. And she's not in the fitness world. She's a, she is an author, a speaker, um, Amazing gal. And, and she, we were talking about perfectionism. 
And I think sometimes if we don't fail, what we think is our top level of success is actually only our middle. Because I really, truly believe to put your best work, to stretch yourself, and Brene Brown talks a lot about this, be vulnerable. You're going to have to fail because if you've never failed, you haven't stretched yourself enough. Right. And then we're playing it safe because, you know, perfectionist, there's two things we hate to do if it's toxic, like you said, toxic perfectionists. We hate to fail and we hate to ask for help. Big like one, I am yeah. an expert at giving help. I mean, no, you can call me anytime, happy to offer help. But for, for us, especially women, it's really hard to do the ask. You know, like, I don't know how to do this. When I was writing the book, when I was learning how to do podcasting, I'd never done that before. So I think failure is if we can reframe it. If we view failure as proof that we didn't make it, it's always going to throw us to the curb. But if we can reframe it as I've stretched myself and then I can look at the failure with playful curiosity, like, a perf- okay, so here's me as a recovering perfectionist. If I had made a mistake in the past, I would be so traumatized by it, like, oh my gosh, I should have known better. They're going to view me as an idiot, blah, de, blah, de, blah. So that was so uncomfortable to me. I would put it in a box and not look at it. But if I can reframe that, like, wow, okay, maybe it didn't go quite as I had hoped, but I can look at it. And then with curiosity, I can go, okay, This project, this podcast, this social media piece, whatever it might be, go, well, that didn't go quite as I had planned. Then I kind of dissect it and go, what research can I pull from the rejection or what data can I pull from the disaster, disasters? Instead of tossing all that information out, I can go, okay, this went well, I'm keeping it. This didn't go as I had planned. I'm going to tweak it slightly to improve upon it. And then this bit over here, well, that was just a disaster. Let's get rid of that and maybe bring something completely new in. But then instead of starting all the way back at the beginning, I'm 50% further along than where I was in iteration 1.0. And I can bring all this great, useful information into 2.0. So there's two pieces. It's allowing us, and then also this whole idea of, I use failure and fear kind of like in, in, two, in kind of tandem. They're like partners with each other. Because if we're also afraid of failing, we forget to see that fear is just proof that we're getting something, we're getting closer to something that's really important to us. Because mm-hmm. I think the more afraid you are, it means you're about to do something that really matters. Oh, I love that. So one of the reasons that I really love this topic is that I have a lot of people in my audience who are the parents Mm. of younger performing artists. My oldest daughter is a theater major. She's going to be a junior in college. And then my middle daughter wants to be a film director. And so she's Ah. planning on pursuing film school. And so I have lots of kids and their parents in my circle of friends. And anyway, lots of parents who listen to the podcast who are at that stage where they have to keep these performing artists, artists hype, you know, like up and help them learn that, you know, you face a lot of rejection, but that doesn't mean that they're nitpicking you. And, you know, just exactly what you said, what can you learn from this? Because you're going to face a lot of rejection. Mm -hmm. You've got to be able to pick yourself up. 
And yeah, because I yeah, I was a dancer before. So I get rejection. <laughs> I mean, right. every day. And the hard thing is if you're in theater, um, and you know, when you are even with your other daughter who wants to be in the film world. When you're a creative of any sort, it's really hard to separate who you are from what you do. Mm-hmm. So what it I is. would recommend for any parents listening, can you find a role model that your daughter or your son really look up to and share their backstory? Whether it's a filmmaker, whether it's a performing artist, get the stories of all the failures that they shared you know, and there probably are interviews with them. There's probably stuff on YouTube, other mm-hmm. podcasts. Share with your kids all the failures that the people that they admire had to get where they are. Because our kids, they see again that overnight success. So if you as a parent can say, look, I know you love so-and-so and their work that they do, but here's what I also want you to know. Here are the constant rejections, the cons, the um, you know, the authors or whatever it is, because it really is tricky, Kim. When you are a creative, and I know this because I did that as a dancer, mm-hmm. constant rejection to then pick yourself up and go well, and it, and when you're that young, it's hard. Look, I remember there were there was a couple of auditions I got when I was in London, and it had nothing to do with me, and it was because I fit into the costume, and at the time I was very very skinny. Let's say anorexic. I mean, and unfortunately they were picking me because I was a good dancer, but it really was, I fit into the costume. I was skinny. And so it's really hard when you're not getting picked. Sometimes it is about your talent and maybe we, but how can we use that information? Okay. I was maybe, and you know, for me, I was a great dancer. I was not great at singing. (laughs) So I had to go and improve upon that. So, but it doesn't mean I was a terrible dancer. So how can we separate this information and use it as fuel for our dreams, fuel for our future versus getting paralyzed by all those no's, which, and you know, Oh, it's so easy to say, but it's so true now. No, I'm so much older. These no's are just learning steps to the next yes. Mm-hmm. But and again, it's hard to understand when you're oh, in the middle of it, but it, but it really is true. You, you can never go wrong, I don't feel like, by putting yourself out there because you're always going to learn. And if you're not putting yourself out there, then you don't have a shot at all at getting what you want. Agreed. And also allowing your kids, though, especially to be upset, be disappointed. Because I think sometimes we don't allow enough room for what we as parents may, and I'm not a parent, I was a bonus mom for five years. So I had a young boy, I kind of, I was his bonus mom for five years. So I have been a parent. It's allowing them to also be disappointed and allow them to have those moments of disappointment and, and, rejection is painful. So I think we have to allow space for them to, to grieve a little bit, that lost opportunity, but then not wallow in it. Like, oh, so, I mean, I don't, I mean, again, no one teaches you how to be a parent either. So it's like, it's finding that balance that works for you. And even in our parenting skills, we're not going to do it perfectly. And maybe one, we could, we, we learn how to help our kids manage the rejections um, better each time because as well as our kids learning, we are also learning as parents. Right. So I kind of feel like this goes along with something that I see happening happening in fitness where, okay, I'm going to start a running program or I'm going to start whatever program and I'm all gung-ho and it maybe lasts for two to three weeks and then life happens and something big in our lives is always going on. And 
the person who maybe is a perfectionist about the way they look at their workout routine uses that as an excuse to just bail on the whole thing. Oh, I tried Whole30 and oh, I accidentally had some milk and some crackers this afternoon. And so, okay, diet's over or whatever. What What do you think about, about that as far as like using this idea that you have to be perfect at that plan and then when it isn't perfect, they quit? Do you think that that's something that happens? Yeah. And I think it's interesting you mentioned Whole30 because I, I've done that plan three times and they are so rigid. You know, they, they're basically telling you if you mess up, you got to go back to day right. one. So, I mean, that if you are a perfectionist, for me, it was it worked well three times and I just can't do it anymore. Um, and I have no, I'm not a nutritionist, but it worked well for me. But if you are a perfectionist, maybe choosing a plan that's that rigid, that does not allow for any, any deviation might not be the best one for you. So I think it's learning to live in the gray. Perfectionists tend to live in black or white, success or failure, good or bad, fit or fat, you know. So it also depends on your, and perfectionism can work well in some areas of your life and not in others. Okay. So it's also looking at that, Kim. It's like while, say, in your work life, it works well for you and it doesn't paralyze you. But maybe in your fitness routine and your, your nutrition, it doesn't work so well. So it's working out where you need discipline, where you need boundaries, where they work well for you and motivate you and where they become so strict that if and well, if and when you should step off that road to success a little bit, it derails you completely. So for example, for myself, Fitness, I'm a lot more flexible in my routines than I used to be. If I make it, I mean, I always walk every day. And this is for a mental capacity. If I don't walk or move my body, I'm just miserable to be around <laughs> and no one wants to hang out with me. But in terms of my weight training, my yoga, my all of the above, I, I kind of really listen to what I need to do that day. In my eating, I'm still exploring this. I have to be honest because I thought... I was in my dancing days, I'd suffered with both anorexia and bulimia. Which so is common I, for dancers. Yeah, I know. Um, and in fitness too, a lot of my peers have struggled with this and exercise addiction. So Whole30 worked really well for me and I never felt any of my old tapes come up. I mean, this is, these are like, this is like 20, 30 years ago. But I do find sometimes I'm trying to find my own boundaries of... If I say this or that, like I'm going to say, I'm not going to do this for 30 days, I do find my own inner critic if I do step off that, that road, really rearing her head sometimes. So I'm still, to be honest, in terms of nutrition, finding things that work for me well, where I can have a little bit of gray area, where is a lot more clean eating versus not. But if I decide to have a glass of rosé or I decide to have a chocolate bar, it doesn't suddenly mean, Petra, oh my gosh, you're not, you know, you're so not disciplined and that inner critic. See, I knew you didn't, you couldn't do this, you couldn't do that. So I'm still struggling with that. So I think for those listening, perfection or strong rules can work for you in some areas of your life. But look at the areas of self-care, your relationships with yourself and others, your work life and your family life. And it's not a one-shot 
one size fits all. If that, I don't know if that helps at all. Hey friends, I wanted to take a break to introduce myself. I am your hostess. My name is Kim Peek and I am the founder of Power of Run. I am a running and fitness coach with a passion for positive mindset, real food, my three puppies, my three creative daughters, and finding joy and positivity in life. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. You can find more information about me and the programs that I offer at www.crushingmygoals.com. And you can find me on all social media as Power of Run. Now back to the show. If somebody finds that they are too rigid or their their perfectionism isn't working in one part of their life, your book is called Perfection Detox. So how do they go about going through this detox for the profession? Perfectionism. Oh my gosh. It's so funny you say that perfectionism. So I just did the audio book and writing perfectionism versus saying it after three days of doing the audio book, I couldn't say perfectionism. I'm like, what? I was looking at the word going, I don't even know how to say that anymore. I was like, perfect. So I, yeah. I, know, I couldn't get it out of my mouth. I'm like, okay, I know how to spell it. It's in my head. I can see it written across my forehead. Yes. I feel your pain. So, you know, what I say about this book, it's 21 steps. And it's three parts. The first bit is noticing, is even just noticing, I call it the noise. And you might find at work, there's no noise. So, or you might find at home, there's a lot, a lot of noise. Or what I find, especially when we're talking our relationship with ourselves, that's where a lot of the inner noise is happening. Like we can be really kind to others, but not to ourselves. So there's three parts. One is like basically identifying where your pain points are. Um, the second part is replacing the negative with positive because your brain and your heart doesn't like a vacuum. If you take something out, but you don't replace it with something good, the negative is our default. So it will just come back in again in a different disguise. And then the third part is like, how do you cement these actionable ha- habits in a consistent fashion that it builds and is a sustainable practice for your future? And I also mentioned in the book, Kim, that not all of these steps are going to resonate with everybody. I do ask that you do it in, um, in the order that they are uh, aligned, but there might be something in there that goes, you know what? I really don't have an issue with this. So I'm just like, leave that alone, take what works, stick with what works well. And if something doesn't resonate, it's not you. It's just not this time of your life that you need help in that area. And I always say, don't go mining for trouble if there isn't any. You know, if you read something and go, yeah, "Yeah, awesome for you, just move on to the next bit. And then again, I also say, apply this to the areas of your life, like I said, that are sucking the joy out of you. If you have joy, this might not, if you never struggle with this, I also like, I call it the confidence gap. If you don't struggle with this idea of, your confidence catching up with your career. I, fantastic, fantastic. But maybe you have a kid. I'm going to be starting groups next year where we do a lot of, mo- a lot of moms have said, can you do this with my, can I do this with my daughter? Oh, because, nice. you know, yeah, we, our kids don't always learn from listening, but they learn from watching. And so this is work we have to do to empower the next generation. Um, and then also it's this idea of, just treating yourself with kindness and this whole idea, I call it the virus of enoughness. 
you know, I'm not at home enough. I'm not posting enough. I'm not writing enough. I'm not blogging enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not fit enough. I'm not, oh my gosh, enough. So if you have any of those struggles, I would just, people want to know, you know, this is why your podcast is so great. You're putting a voice that we get to share all of ourselves not just our highlight reel, but there's a whole backstory mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong in posting great, positive content. But I spoke about this when, when you, know, you and I first met. We want to be really mindful that what we're saying, what we're posting, what we're listening to, what we're sharing with our children doesn't set up these unrealistic expectations. We need to share our struggles as well as the good moments, you know? I feel like this is one of those podcasts that I'm going to be able to go back and listen to. And I'm going to have to sit down myself, even though I sat here and talked to you and take notes on everything you said, because there are so many great nuggets of wisdom in here. Thank you. And it's just weird. It's like, you know, this idea of perfection, enoughness, confidence. There's a lot of great stuff out there, like saying, oh, you know, just let go of perfectionism. Um, Just um, kick fear to the curb. Easy to say, but these are years of ingrained habits, ingrained negative self-talk. And I just would love your listeners to know that the brain's default is the negative. This is not a character flaw because we start beating ourselves up going, I should know better. The challenging thing is our brain's default is always the negative. So this is work that requires work. We have to do the work for it to work because Our reptilian brain, the bit that goes into fight or flight, or we start like feeling really anxious if we're not feeling like we're measuring up somehow, that brain has been with us the longest. So it's the bit that will light up very quickly. So it's just this idea of going, I like the idea of using the word, if you do have a negative thought about yourself, don't judge it. Just go, oh, that's interesting. Oh, how great is that? Yes. So you're not judging it. You just go, ah, with appreciative inquiry, with a a lens of self-compassion. That's interesting. I'm telling myself I'm useless. Hmm. That's interesting. I wonder where that thought came from versus going, oh my gosh, Patrick, I can't believe you're telling yourself this again, that you're useless. You've done the book. You wrote the book. How do you not know better? Oh my gosh, just layer on that judgment versus if I go, oh, that's interesting it doesn't allow any room for judgment. It's just inquiry. And like, ah, it allows me to sit with that thought and open up. It's not about the thought. It's what's underneath that thought. Where was that thought created? And it's never about the moment. It's probably years back where someone said something or you suddenly took something on, you know, so it allows us to do the work and not beat ourselves up as we're doing it. Yeah, I, that's all so, so very true. And I think a hard lesson to learn. And, and so I love this. Oh, that's interesting. Because it's a great way to just begin becoming aware of the fact that you're saying that. Yeah. And it's I think so the break unkind yeah. yourself. Yes. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. And I think like you had said, this idea of like um, failure and fear and the more you stretch yourself, your uh, I hate to say your negative, your inner critic doesn't necessarily go away. She just changes. <laughs> she'll put on a different disguise and she'll come. So for me, it used to be, oh, I need to be thinner and fitter and smarter. And now as I move into this next stage of my life, I just had my 55th birthday. So now my critics, I'm, ah, you should be younger. 
<laughs> oh my gosh, you know, you know, there's always something. So, but now I'm like, well, who's telling me this? I can choose to believe. And it allows me to sit and go, where's that story coming from? Mm-hmm. And how can I look at that story and do good with it versus just shutting myself down? So. Hey friends, I am so excited about a new program I am launching on August 20th. It's the Foam Roller Frenzy and it's 30 days of warm-ups, cool-downs, core and strength workouts, all incorporating the Foam Roller. Now, before you tune me out because you believe the foam roller is a cruel torture device, let me tell you that these are all quick workouts that you can incorporate into quick breaks in your day. Do them at work, while you're watching TV, or before or after another type of a workout. My goal with this program is to help you develop some new foam rolling skills. So that taking care of your feet, your calves, your quads, your upper back, All those parts of the body where we tend to experience pain becomes as much a part of your life as brushing your teeth. Experience more of the things you love when you move well and move pain-free. For more information, go to crushingmygoals.com and click on store. Now, there's something I noticed in your bio that I have to ask you about before we go because I know that our time is almost up here, but... In your bio, it says that you are a two-time cancer survivor, and Mm -hmm. I am just coming up on my three-year anniversary of um, when I had my breast cancer surgery and reconstruction and started chemo and all of that. So I'm kind of new to all of this Mm -hmm. mindset stuff as it relates to cancer, but I would love to hear a little bit about what you learned as you went through that. Well, I didn't know, and congratulations on being a survivor sister. Thank you. Um, yeah, no, I had melanoma and then Hodgkin's lymphoma. And okay. yeah, so like you, I, my melanoma, it was cut out, and I didn't have to have chemo or radiation. Uh, Hodgkin's, I did. I had chemo and radiation, so I lost my hair. Did you lose your hair? I did. Yeah. Did it? Can I ask you, did it grow back the same, or did it grow back different? You know, it grew back totally white at first. Ooh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, it was totally white. And so the minute I had it long enough that we could go do color just by running her fingertips through my hair, we started doing cute colors. And then it came back super curly. And I kept on saying, I have such fine hair that I am not going to complain about this curl because it's probably not going to last. And now I'm to the point where my hair is this limp, stringy, flat stuff again. So I'm glad I forced myself to appreciate the curls while I had them. That's so funny. I, me too. I had straight hair. It grew back curly. I loved the curls. And then I had them about maybe half a year. And then as my hair got longer, it began to straighten out again. So I was like, I still got pictures of me like with curly hair. So I think, you know, to go back to that, here's the thing. When you first hear that word, you have cancer. Your life changes. In that moment, This whole idea of the extraordinary, the ordinary days are taken away from us. And you and I, and I'm sorry that you had to go through this. And I can feel it's a little, it's still very, very new. Mine is 20 years out. So I can talk about it with Uh emotion attached to it. Um, You never take for granted during those first few moments 
your extra few pounds, your, you know, you, the last thing you're worrying about when you hear cancer is what you look like, what size you are, what hair type you have, whether you got wrinkles, what age you are, you don't care. It's like, you've just been dealt this card where like your life, this extraordinary, ordinary life has just been said, this life that you've been taken for granted, Petra, that you've took for granted, that you beat yourself up, you starved yourself, you binged yourself. How could you, but you know, you don't, so now what I want, we learn a lesson. We, this is, I, I hate saying to people, I would never say to anyone, oh, well, what did you learn from this? You know, how you're so grateful, you're so lucky. No, I mean, if, I'd rather we didn't have to go through cancer yet. Mm-hmm. We have had this wake up call where many of us, we don't get that till we're on our deathbed. And then we look back and go, oh my gosh, I missed so many moments worrying about, being at work, not being this enough, not being that enough. And this is what I want the book to be about. It's like, don't wait for a cancer diagnosis or um, the loss of a loved one unexpectedly, or, you know, don't wait for life to hit you in the head for us to wake up of the magnificent gift of who we are, flaws and all. So that's what I learned. And you know, you now have this empathy and this understanding that not everyone has the luxury of having that empathy mm-hmm. of you get what it feels like to have the carpet pulled out from you, whether it's a cancer diagnosis, whether it's one of your listeners who just lost a loved one or a betrayal or whatever, however that comes at you. Mm-hmm. But don't wait for that. And when, I'm, when I was in the cancer recovery, you know, I lived my best life. I didn't waste any time worrying about my size. My, I was just fearless. But yet, as I move 20 years out, I wake up and I can have those days when I feel kind of ungrateful for this beautiful body, this beautiful mind, this. And I just go, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. Let's just wake up again and again. And I think that's what we say, Kim. I don't know if you ever learned this. But we can remind ourselves with compassion, like, ah, I'm beating myself up again. And every time we spend moments where we are focusing on what we think we are not, we lose so many precious moments where we could stand in all that we who and all that we are and then move that to help others around us believe in their best selves too. And that's really just a great way to wrap up what we've been talking about far as just letting go of that perfection and live your best life, get out there and take chances. Yep. Your best imperfect life. You know, the world would rather have your imperfect blog, your imperfect selfie, your imperfect writing, your imperfect whatever than your perfect silence. Perfect. (laughs) That's great. Okay. So Tell us about the book, where we can find it. And I understand that there are some awesome freebies out there for people who are listening in real time and not listening to this three months down the road. Yes. So if you buy the book today, I'll keep the bonuses up like for the next 48 hours, um, Kim, for your listeners. So the book comes out today. Oh my gosh, August 14th. And if you go to perfectiondetox.com, 
You can order the book there from Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever you like, but then come back to that page. And if you enter in your name, email and receipt, you're going to get these bonuses. One will be 21 uh, positivity boosters. One will be delivered to your mailbox every morning, just to remind you how great you are. And then starting in September, I'm doing a free online masterclass series, one in September, October, November, where we get to work the work together with the book. You have opportunities to ask questions. It'll be live. If you can't attend the recordings live, they'll be sent to you along with, you know, three downloadable PDFs, like little workbooks. So it's one thing to buy the book. It's another one to do the work. And sometimes it's easy to do it in community. And so we'll be doing that together. And of course, there's a private Facebook group where we can all support each other because we thrive in community and collaboration. What fantastic value to give people. And I I think that's interesting that you're adding all these extra layers because it's one thing to write a book and to have people read the book and, Oh, that's a great chapter. Keep flipping the pages, but it's an absolute different thing to do the work and to try to make those changes. Yeah. It's just like everything. Your mindset is just like your, your body set, your health set, your nutritional set. It's actionable strategies daily. It's consistency. And so these, I want you to be consistent with your mindset to do the work so that then it becomes a habit after a while. But it takes, it takes time. I've been, I've been working this work for a few years and I want to give you guys the shortcut, but without shortchanging you, because this does require you showing up to honor yourself and treat yourself. And I do really believe this is work so worth doing because then it adds, you know, joy to your life and allows you to work hard, but at least enjoy the journey along the way. Well, thank you so much for being on my podcast and for sharing your knowledge and for doing all of this work that you've put into this book so that you could share what you've learned with everybody else and help everybody make some changes in their lives. Thank you so much for having me as a guest and for everyone listening. Thank you for the precious gift of your time. And I think what you're doing, Kim, in the world and especially with your, your history and with the kids, much, much continued success. And it really is an absolute privilege to be on your show today. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen. I'm Coach Kim Peek of Power of Run, and you can find me at www.crushingmygoals.com. Dot com or on all social media as at sign power of run. If you liked this episode, be sure to give the podcast some love over on iTunes and remember to subscribe as a new podcast, your reviews and stars and subscribes will help me grow the audience so that I can share my love of health and fitness and bring more experts to the show. Power up your week and I will catch you next Tuesday.